Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to Educate an Idiot. Uh, I'm Mark and I have two guests with me today. Uh, two friends of mine. One of them is a social worker. And she's going to uh, give us some insight on how all that works, and we're going to harass her with a bunch of questions. So can you tell us your background and how you got started and where you are now and how it all works? Um, so originally, I was a psychology major in college, um, and I didn't know what I wanted to do, so I decided to go to grad school um, and found out that one of the easier programs to do to kind of get on like a counseling track was the master's in social work um, because you didn't have to take the GRE and um, I already had all the prereqs for it. Um, So I did three years of that to get my master's and then took on a job as a case manager, uh, which is what I'm doing now. And I work in a program that provides services for children and adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Can you define intellectual and developmental disabilities? Yeah. Um, So it's a diagnosis that um, starts when the person is, I think, under 10. Um, Typically, they're born with it or they develop it at a young age. Um, I can look up an official definition if you'd like. Oh no, that sounds good. I just, I didn't, I know like, I have like ADHD and stuff like that. And sometimes it's considered like a learning disability. I didn't know if like Mm -hmm. that fell under that category or not. It can. Um, The clients that I have it mostly, it has to affect them like in their activities of daily living. So, um, a lot of times, like I have the majority of my caseload is, um, people with autism. And so they'll a lot of times have ADHD as a secondary diagnosis and, um, it it definitely affects day-to-day life. So, um, they qualify for that program. When you introduce yourself or somebody asks you what kind of profession do you have, do you say social worker or caseworker? Like, what's the terminology? I usually say social work um, just because I have a degree in it, and uh, I figure I should um, pay some homage to the piece of paper that I paid a lot of money for. (laughs) Um, And if they, like, because social work is kind of like an umbrella of different fields so if they decide to delve deeper then um i'll say i'm a case manager and um to give it more current times before the pandemic and after the you know in in the pandemic that we're currently in has your work changed a lot oh yeah um so in the before times i would go to people's houses um I have 35 people on my caseload, and so I see each of them once a month. 
Um, so I go to their houses, uh, just check in on them, see how they're doing with um, the goals that they want to work on. Um, and so now all of that is over Zoom or FaceTime or some mode of telehealth. So that's been, um, I guess, the real difference that I'm not driving all over like the surrounding counties. Do you have like a, a, I guess, a case turnover? Like, have you been with these same people for a while or do you get new people or how does that work? Uh, yes and no. I have um, some people that I've had for four years since I started this job. Um, and then either people move or they transfer out of the program or we just don't jive well. And so they get transferred to another case manager. Um, so it, it kind of varies, but I have had some people we started the program together and then um, some I think I've just had a couple months. Uh, how do the ages range? I think the youngest for my program is around four or five. In Kentucky, they have a program for, um, like, I think it's zero to three for early intervention with uh, disabilities. So um, they usually go from that program to the one that I work. What's the name of your program? It's uh, a Medicaid waiver. So the clients... um, they're able to get the Medicaid insurance, but not have it be based off of the household income. And then under the specific, like, there's different kinds of waivers. So the one that I work with, uh, you can get help with, like, going into the community and um, being able to have, like, community-based services rather than being in an institution. And so you can get that. You can get, like, occupational speech therapy and then a few other things. In the before times, as you put it, before the pandemic, uh, what was a daily work, like work life? What, like, what was your daily routine or whatever you would go through? So it depends on the client. So um, I have clients that range from 5 to 35. Um, and so if they're an adult and they're free during the day, then I would just drive to their house, um, see how they're doing. Um, and then go to the office, have to do like, uh, documentation on them and other clients. And then, um, it, it, it was a, a system where like I could create my own schedule. So if I wanted to see like 10 people in a day, then I could just do visits back to back. Um, or if I didn't have to see anybody that day, then I could go to the office, do a bunch of paperwork, and that's it. So you set up to 10 people in one day? Like, how long is a typical visit? I usually let the family kind of dictate the conversation. So some people, they don't really like to talk at all. So I can be, like, in and out. Like, I come in, I see the client, make sure they're alive and well, and we schedule for next time, and I'm out, so two minutes and then some people are really talkers, and um, I get to hear, like, their whole life story. So it can range from, like, two minutes to two hours. So for the people that don't talk much, like, what are the, the boxes you have to check? Like, personal hygiene, like, stuff like that to make sure they're, like, mentally well as well? Yeah, yeah. So um, I check and make sure, like, the house isn't in shambles. Um, they're physically healthy and safe. Um 
And then each client has um, a bunch of goals that they're working on. So depending on like age and situation, I guess, um, they might work on like chores and personal hygiene, like being able to be independent and do that themselves. Um, so I'll check in about their goals and then Medicaid requires us to ask if they've had any, um, doctor's appointments or been sick at all and report that each month. How do you get these clients? Are they, do they come in like a, a, a parent or guardian and they're like, Hey, we need somebody to, you know, help us with our kid, child, brother, whatever, or yeah. is it state appointed or how does that work? No, it's a voluntary program, so they'll sign up with um, the different offices that work with this program. Um, They're the community mental health. Um, There's a name for it, anyway. Um, But they'll go to that and say, I'm interested in A, B, and C services, and um, they'll see which program they qualify for and uh, eventually make their way to me. Are there, is it like a a long process to get, you know, a social worker to come to your residence or is it fairly quick? There's, um, for this specific, um, Medicaid program, there's like a seven year waiting list for other waivers that don't provide a, as many services. I think there's a shorter waiting list, but. Did you say seven years? Yeah. Wow. So there are people, like, they're diagnosed, like, if they're born and um, a doctor diagnoses them with Down syndrome, um, they a lot of people are going ahead and getting their kid on the waiting list. Are there a bunch of other resources? Like you said, there was one where people don't need as many needs or help or whatever. Are there a lot yeah. of programs like that? With the waiver system in Kentucky, there's um, three different waivers that provide different levels of services. So it kind of depends on what kind of resources the person has. Like if they're in a family that um, is able to provide more care, um, then they probably wouldn't need as much service uh, or as many services as somebody that like lives on their own or maybe doesn't have a home at all. So it kind of depends on their situation. And I'm I'm gonna assume this is different state by state, right? Yeah. So yeah. we're just gonna talk Kentucky specific. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, I know Indiana has a different situation. Tennessee has a different situation, and yeah, I had a friend. I think I I don't know her exact job title, but I know that she did make house visits. She worked in West Virginia though, so okay. I would ask her about Kentucky things, and she's like, "Well, it's a little different." Right. I have a friend who lives in Indiana, and she has two sons with autism, and she'll ask me, like, where should I go for this and this? And I'm like, I don't know. Well, can you give us, like, a a PSA on, like, the process that somebody could get started? Like, what website they need to go to to get, you know, start getting help from somebody or whatever? Yeah, like some resources. Um, So they would go to the Cabinet for Health and Family Services, their website, and I'm honestly not sure how the website is set up, so this might be a bad PSA, but there should be a section on, like, disability services, and then I think they can find, like, based on age group or based on need, then um, what program they would fit under. So it's just the Google search away, pretty much, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a, a lot of it, like, 
there's not like a handbook that they give you whenever somebody gets a diagnosis as a kid. Um, so a lot of it is found like through support groups, like the mom network, if you tap into that is full of resources, but it's crazy because a lot of doctors like aren't giving out as much information as I guess they could, but also they might not know about it too. So is that something you, you think that the industry could do better in general? I think so. Um, it's definitely something like if I had maybe extra days in a week that I would like to look into, but that's kind of like on my, on my to-do list farther down is like make like a directory or a, a something just saying like, if you need speech therapy, you can go to this person. If you need questions about anything, talk to this person and they can direct you on where to go. As someone who, uh, has a public health degree. Like I totally understand that we're all about like prevention and trying to get people to know about these things before it gets to a point where like the, the help isn't going to help as much as it could have, you know? Mm, So, uh, and we, we talk about doctors all the time and like they see so many patients a day and they have five minutes. Like, let me look down your throat. Okay. You're good. Go. That's what, that's another thing that we, uh, we talked about quite a lot was, trying to manage that time and help them give resources for other things like you're being seen for a cold but your blood pressure is a little high maybe you should do this this and this Mm -hmm. yeah I mean I think it's a I I went to a conference in grad school where it was um, social work students medical students dental students and um, they were talking about that kind of like collaborative approach to taking care of people so I think that's um that's something that we could focus on like in the future for sure are there any other things you could think of that could use improvement in the system because i mean there's got to be thousands if not millions of people out there that need help with something and they're not getting it because they don't know about it or because uh you know they're in a waiting list of some sort yeah i mean the medicaid system in general it it needs a lot of help Um, oh yeah because i mean especially now you're not really going into offices to be able to get these informations and sometimes they'll have like a bulletin board saying like here's a brochure for this ailment or if you're interested in this but um I think spreading awareness is probably one of the bigger issues and then giving like a how-to sheet on how to call Medicaid how to call the uh, department for community-based services and because it can be intimidating if you don't really know what you're doing to get a little more focused, can you, is there like a, a the more common type of a patient, I guess, or case mm-hmm. that they have a, a certain type of disability is the most common one? Um, for my caseload, I'd say autism is the, um, a lot of my people have that. Um, autism and cerebral palsy, I guess, are the top ones. And you said something about making goals with each uh, case. What what kind of goals are you talking about? Um, so depending on their age, like if it, okay, so I have like an eight-year-old client and he's nonverbal, has autism. So his goals are more like communication, like being able to use his tablet for using a communication program to say like, I want a drink or I have to use the bathroom. 
And then they might have a goal that's like personal hygiene, um, learning how to like bathe themselves or at least be more involved in it. Or just getting out into the community is a, a goal that a lot of my people have. So being able to like, just the idea is that they want to work on activities that a typical kid their age would be able to work on. Or um, like if it's an adult, then they might work on like learning how to do grocery shopping on their own or um, learning how to drive a car or navigate the bus system. So it sounds like when people are doing good, you have less work. So when when they're doing bad, like what do you have to do? Do you have to provide them with resources, let, let someone know? Yeah, so um, the subset, I guess, of the program that I work for is um, the, it's participant-directed. And so the families are in charge of hiring their own support staff. So... It lets me take like a step back. So all I have to do is um, manage the services specifically. And then the families kind of deal on how they want to address the goals and how they want to work on them. Are there like horror stories where it's, you know, you see some form of abuse or something, you have to call the police? Um, yeah, for sure. Um, there are, I mean, with, as of any program, there's uh, people that take advantage of it. Um and they'll say they're working with the person, but they're just like on their phone or watching TV and supposedly billing for doing work with the client. And a lot of times you, I mean, we go into these houses every month and we see like evidence of abuse or neglect and we have to get CPS and APS involved. Is that fairly common or is that kind of rare? I was, it, it's kind of rare. It's not like super rare, I guess. Like I've had to call, um, Maybe a handful of times in the four years I've had this job. With the mindset that they're hiring you to come there to help, you know, it it seems like a bad idea. If they were going to go, you know, abuse a kid or a family Mm -hmm. member or whatever, and then call a a state representative to come out, it seems like a horrible idea. Yeah, I, I don't understand the mindset of how you think you'd get away with it, but... Do you work closely with CPS on stuff like that, or... I guess I don't know, like, all of the different departments and all of that stuff. Yeah. Um, so, I, um, the most I do with CPS is call them and start, like, an, an investigation. Um, if somebody else has called on a particular client, then CPS might call me and see if I have any insight into, like, how their parent or family member behaves around them. Um, but I'm not involved in any of the like actual casework with that. That's um, that's more of a state-based system. Are Are you technically a state employee or are you private? No, I'm a. Uh, I think my company is a um, nonprofit. It is a nonprofit, so we're we're a separate entity than anything run by the state. Do you guys work with the state other than CPS and all that? Yeah, the um so the Medicaid program is uh, a state run program, so that's where our funding comes from. And they get to make all the um the rules and regulations when it comes to it and then we just kind of guide our um families through that. Is the uh the caseload that you have, you said thirty five, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that pretty typical for most people or do you have like a heavier caseload or lighter or 
Um, right now I have a heavier caseload. We've had um, a few people that have been, um, they've left the company, so we have to take on extra. But it ranges from about 32 clients on a caseload to 40. And that's just for this particular um, field. But I know like CPS and some of the state uh, social workers, they'll have upwards of like 60 or 70 people that they have to see a month. Do you you feel like it's kind of the idea of a a smaller classroom compared to a larger classroom? Do you think you can get more, you know, a personable interaction with these clients? I think so. Um, It's, it kind of, um, you have to figure out a balance of like doing the home visits and then doing the paperwork. So um, a lot of people, they'll stick to like, all right, our home visit is going to be 10 minutes long and then I have to go do this, this, and this. So people that are more structured and I guess like have better time management skills than I do, um, they'll (laughs) um, be more rigorous on like, this is how much time I'm going to devote to you. Um, And it's the same with everybody else. And then I have no time management skills and kind of um, float along and... I try, like, I, I think the number of caseload, or number on your caseload definitely affects how much time you're able to devote to each person to answer your question. But if there were more social workers out there, I think it would be a, a better situation for a lot of people. Is there a need for them right now? Because, I mean, for decades now, they, people have been always telling us that we need more truck drivers to deliver and transport stuff, but you don't really hear about the need of social workers. Yeah, it's, um, I think it, it feels like there's a need of, like, everybody. It, it the, the focus shifts around from field to field. But I, I would say there's a need for social workers. And it's, it's not a field that's uh, appealing for a lot of people because it doesn't pay well. But, yeah, I, I think we could use more people. So it was a... a bleeding heart liberal how or me i mean how would you feel about like money allocations being redirected from like police force into social work so that they could be called in to deal with people with intellectual disabilities and situations like that yeah how dare you that's what i was leading up to oh sorry (laughs) there you go um yeah i absolutely like there needs to be more training on how the police force especially deals with people with developmental and intellectual disabilities as well as mental health issues because there's not a lot. Um, and I mean, you've seen in the news, right, exactly. You've seen in the news, like the police aren't doing a great job with handling like a anything. I guess, but I I lost my train of thought and that's what I'm getting at with. (laughs) Do you think it would be like beneficial for police officers to have like a ride along with you and come into the homes and just chill? I mean, obviously not in their whole get up so they don't freak everyone out, but bring in the SWAT team. (laughs) Um, I think like it could definitely be a helpful thing just so they're acquainted with like if you're in trouble, then ideally you'd call the police and they'd come help you. So, um, I know there, there's like a, there's a local autism support group where they'll call in like police officers and, um, firefighters and have them come to like, 
um, a gathering and say this is who you call if there's a burglary this is who you call if there's a fire and it kind of desensitizes um, the kiddos and the adults to um, don't be afraid of this person this is what they're supposed to do Mm -hmm. yeah I mean you see the videos on YouTube where it's like four officers tackle this kid with you know, autism or whatever, and it's mm-hmm. because he's nonverbal and he starts running away from him. And they're like, "Oh, he's trying to flee the scene of a crime." Yeah, it's um, I mean, it's heartbreaking to see because you see like that kind of situation, and they aren't always able to communicate. Like, I'm just crossing the street. I didn't know if I was doing something wrong, and my coping mechanism is to rock back and forth and scream and. If you see a typical person doing that, then he might um, worry they were up to something. Or there's um, just a lot of like cues and stuff that I think the police force could be more aware of. Uh, is the, the, I mean, I know you have your master's degree. Is there a certain amount of training that you have to go through as soon as you get like a quote unquote job? It also, it depends on like the field that you're going into. So my current job as a case manager, you only need a bachelor's degree to get. Um, a lot of times, if you get your master's, then you are going into more of a counseling field, in which case you'd have to get your license um, and then be under a supervisor and then get another license to be able to practice on your own. As far as like, well, in my case, I didn't know what I wanted to do, and so I signed up to be a case manager, essentially. I'm trying to think of another situation where you might need more training. Like, there are social workers that work in policy, and so you'd be trained on how to lobby and how to develop bills um, and do more things on, like, a macro level. Do many people use your, like, the, the current job that you have in our career that you have do they use it as a stepping stone to like further their career or do they usually just kind of cruise on that for yeah a lot of them do like i have several co-workers that they got this job after they finished their bachelor's and then while they were working this job they were also working on getting a master's um because the company that i work for they'll help like pay your tuition if you're going into a related field and you said you have your master's already right are you, are you going to use this as a stepping stone, or are you pretty satisfied where you're at? Uh, right now, I'm pretty happy with where I'm at. Um, I go back and forth on whether or not I want to do like the counseling route, because I, I like what I do. I like um, being able to see the families every month. But yeah, I, I don't know, to be honest with you. <laughs> with the, the, the caseload you have, the, the 35 people, do you foresee yourself having about the same the same people for, you know, your work career for the next, you know, 20, 30 years? Or do you see that it changing quite a bit? Um, I, I would see it changing um, here and there. Um, so the families that I've had for a long time are mostly kids and teenagers. So at the moment, their need for service um, is pretty low because they're able to um, get a lot of support from their families. As they become adults and they need different things, that's kind of out of my wheelhouse and into um, 
the program that is above ours and offers more services like residential services um, because um, all of my clients, they um, live with their parents or relatives. With the some of the cases that aren't as severe, are you mm-hmm. kind of working them towards living on their own completely? That's, that's the idea for several people. Um, there are some cases where either due to cognitive or physical limitations, they probably won't be able to live on their own. Um, but I have several people where I think if they're able to be able to manage their finances or um, ability to do day-to-day tasks, um, if they have like maybe a support system to remind them to stay on top of it, that they could probably live on their own. Because uh, the whole time we're talking, I'm, I'm thinking about the, the Netflix show Atypical. Are you familiar with that? I've heard of it. I haven't watched it yet. Okay. It, it's this guy with autism, and it's kind of like his journey from high school to college, and he's trying to work mm-hmm. on his own and all that. Yeah. Uh, that's that's what keeps popping in my head the whole time we're talking. Yeah. I think um, there's been a lot more, like, media attention to autism specifically. Um, like, you have Atypical, and then there's um, The Good Doctor. And so you kind of see, like, the different ways that... Um, the brain works and so I'm, I'm happy that they're drawing attention to that because i mean it's it's more common or it, it's more recognized now than it was you know 20 years ago right yeah yeah we actually have names for these disabilities or whatever you don't want to call them mm-hmm. uh, compared to before it's just like ah just shove ritalin in them and eventually they'll be fine right so for the best I think there seems to be more of like a holistic approach to um, like helping people. And a lot of it is like it's so like social based um, because you can see like I, I for example, I have a client who she just joined a sports team and made a friend and you can see like she's made um, so much progress just by having like a friend to talk to and even just a couple times a week, um, be able to act like a normal kid. I mean, do you got to, not to be cynical, but do you got to prepare for the fallout that if, you know, that friendship doesn't last? Oh, yeah. I mean, um, kids are dicks all the time. So, <laughs> um, like, I I don't have to deal with it, on like, one-on-one. Like, usually at a home visit once a month, they'll tell me, like, shit went down. And... My role isn't exactly to like to counsel them on it. I just I try to actively listen and, and um just be empathetic towards it and tell them that that person also sucks. <laughs> so I mean it's almost like in some of your job or some of your clients it's you're more of just a, a an ear for them to talk to you about anything, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean um with a lot of parents especially, I think I'm the only adult um, that they're able to talk to. So it it can turn into a therapy session almost. Um, but I, I I hope they're aware that I'm not there to provide like actual advice. I'm just there to to be a listening ear. Do you have, I, I'm sure it's happened, but I, I mean, have you had situations where they, they try to turn you into their, I guess, therapist for lack of words? I, yeah, a lot. Um, 
there are some times where they'll ask what I would do and um, I try to uh, phrase it or I try to have like a um, the disclaimer saying that this isn't any professional advice. This is just my own thoughts on this matter. I don't know what the hell I'm doing either. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> so what's something that you want people to know about people with intellectual uh is disability the right word yeah yeah okay intellectual or cognitive disabilities yeah um I would say just remember that you are it doesn't take much to be a decent human being like a lot of what I do is just having conversations so I try to pick up on something they're interested like video games and it's I don't know a whole lot of video games but I can say oh my husband also likes playing Minecraft and that'll just open the floodgates for somebody to talk and a lot of times they they just like somebody to talk to so I think being more open to have just a conversation with more people and not treat um not treat them like children I guess yeah be able to level with them I hear that a lot. Like people will like see full grown adults who like maybe have Down syndrome and they're like, oh, so cute. And it's like, no, they're yeah. an adult. Like right. that, don't do that. Don't patronize them, please. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, another question I had is like, what's the most like rewarding like moment that you've had so far at work? Like for like, just like this, like I'm making a difference. Yeah. A lot of it is just like when they meet like it might be a little goal like making a friend or like um so and so got to sit with a friend at lunch when usually they sit by themselves so it's like it's little victories that I get to hear about and I don't have as much of like an active role in my clients lives I'm just this weird lady that pops in once a month uh to see how they're doing and so um being able to like look into the progress that they're making that's that's always a great thing is there anything else you'd like to talk about um that we haven't asked about i think that about covers it all right well Kristen, i want to thank you for being with us this week and our other friend uh, if you have any questions you can email us at educate an idiot at mail.com if you have questions concerns uh, suggestions or even if you want to be on the show but once again i want to thank both of you for coming in with us today It was fun. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we'll catch you next time. Thank you. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.